just to give a background of uh, uh, the country mission, the special procedures, uh, which includes independent experts and the working group on different issues, are uh, uh, are assigned to conduct uh, country mission, which is one of our official um, responsibilities. And uh, the U.S. country mission happens to be my first official country mission. And the purpose is majorly to assess the country situation. And my mandate covers racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. And therefore, this is an intense exercise in terms of assessing the situation of uh, racism, racial discrimination, and xenophobia in the country, and also to critically analyze the existing policies and legislations. And uh, um, the mission involves an intense interaction with state authorities, as well as CSOs, academicians, and many others who are working on racism and racial discrimination. And in terms of conclusion, uh, uh, I have just completed the um, um, country mission and it will be too early for me to uh, respond on the conclusion but uh, I must say that racism very much persists and has manifested it in different forms and uh, um, I'll surely elaborate uh, much more uh, in the report that will be uh, presented next year uh, at the HRC. I know it's very early on but um, so far has any of what you've seen surprised you? Are there any things that you would want to share in terms of like, oh, that's something that I was not expecting. Can you talk to us about that, please? Coming from Global South, from India, um, the United States is very similar in terms of culture and diversity, geographically, demographically as well. And uh, as someone who has been an activist and uh, being in the space, I see what surprises me is uh, the um, resilience that activists here in the U.S. have, the, the mobilization in terms of raising the issue and how they have reached the global platform. And also in terms of research, analysis, their advocacy and lobbying. And this I'm referring to the black community, the Latino community, um, you know, the brown and black people, all the marginalized communities have uh, organized amazingly. And that surprises me and inspires me. And uh, also in terms of the realities of racism that I witnessed and I, the lived experiences of survivors that I heard, uh, that rather than surprise, that disheartened me, uh, disappointed me in terms of looking at uh, how systemic racism can impact lives of individuals. Uh, but of course, um, activism and academia, how they've addressed racism in the U.S. has been amazing. And this can be an inspirational space for uh, uh, many oppressed communities across the globe to learn and take this forward. Often, the U.S. is viewed as being very polarized and across many different levels. Do you see that in terms of human rights? In terms of human rights, I think uh, there are different narratives when it comes to uh, different geographical locations. And uh, um, there is a certain level of uh, um, selective amnesia that I would say in terms of human rights that something is more important than the other. And uh, uh, there, you, there is this 
persisting uh, selectiveness when it comes to addressing human rights, that uh, this operation is more important than the other. I think that's where the polarization lies in the very narrative of how human rights is placed in activism, academia, or even advocacy and advocacy in, in global platform. So I see that very much um, there in in the United States and many other parts as well. But this has kind of created a, a rift in terms of how human rights can be addressed in a more effective manner, uh, both at domestic and international platforms. I would say that a lot of people in the global north, they have a very Western perspective when it comes to human rights challenges. Um, how do you think that uh, frames this sort of whole discussion around human rights in the U.S. Um, do you think that's a fundamental problem in terms of like how people perceive um, this sort of conversation? Um, in terms of uh, perspective of human rights, uh, I think it's very important for uh, many of us to take cognizance of the cultural differences uh, that exist in in various geographical location and human rights cannot be seen in isolation. Uh, that's extremely important. And human the, the narrative of human rights differs from state to state. And uh, there are uh, several positive aspects of Western idea of human rights. Likewise, uh, I think it's also important to take cognizance of the Global South human rights perspective. And the Global South human rights perspective is much more challenging, much more vibrant and has several pertinent issues that can be brought on table to discuss. And there is always the space of collaboration when it comes to Global North and Global South. And uh, the gap that exists within the human rights narrative between Global South and Global North is something that has caused a, a, a lot of tension in terms of addressing human rights. I think that is something that needs to be discussed. And um, as much as how human rights is important in Global North, I think human rights is important in Global South as well. So we need to build upon these narratives, taking into the political, social and cultural differences that exist both in Global South and Global North. We talked about polarization and different perspectives. How do you think social media activism can support racism-related conversations? Lovely question. And social media is something uh, that is at its peak. And especially with technological advancement, uh, this has created a lot of space for uh, uh, marginalized communities, oppressed communities, majorly historically oppressed communities to express their view, um, to put their perspective. Uh, it, is, it has provided an immense space for activists and academicians to reach out to people. Uh, but at the same time, we have pros and cons of social media, um, and that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, while activists, youngsters from marginalized communities are quite active, but at the same time, they are the ones at the receiving end when it comes to hate speech, uh, when it comes to uh, threat, life threat, and many similar issues. Um, the, 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 there is this strong connection between, um, you know, freedom of speech and hate speech, and that is something that needs to be recognized. And I feel social media uh, is something that needs to be protected. 
and these platforms need needs a, a strong regulation in terms of what is disseminated and one of the major worry is dissemination of misinformation and disinformation which further escalates uh, racism racial discrimination hate crimes xenophobia uh, it can be religious intolerance and therefore we have as activists as propagators of human rights as academicians we have to be mindful of what we put in before social media because it reaches out to millions of individuals and uh, at the same time uh, taking note of the positive impact that social media narratives can have i think it it is one of the best place where um, uh, there can be a, a positive mobilization of uh, activists and academicians and human rights propagators across the globe uh, to make things better Thank you so much. Today we spoke with special rapporteur Ashwini. We thank you so much for your time. And are there any final thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, my final thoughts would be in terms of the country mission. Um, I think I've had the one of the best experiences uh, in the last 14 days, um, inspiring, uh, challenging, emotional. Um, uh, while I engage with activists, CSOs, academicians, and many others, and uh, it has been a wonderful experience. Uh, I think the the uh, movement in the space to take. take this um challenge forward to eliminate and eradicate racism or racial discrimination should be taken forward very positively uh, in a in a mindful manner and i think this will be an inspiring uh, experience for me personally and um would love to cherish this thank you so much